Time for swordplay. Alex Montero Lamar Hill, a.k.a. rapper Lil Nas X, the guy who sings Old Town Road, he has a new line of footwear he's developed with Nike. Dubbed Satan Shoes, each of the 666 pairs developed have Luke 1018 emblazoned in red on them, the verse that says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven, a pentagram pendant, and a drop of human blood in the soles of each shoe. Wow. You know, what's even more surprising, Nick, is all 666 pairs sold out in less than a minute. Wow. CNN followed up later and interviewed Bill Gates saying, what are you going to do with all of those shoes? Hey, oh, he, and he replied that uh, at just over a thousand bucks a pair, it was a hell of a deal. <laughs> oh, man, that's bad. That's bad. Oh, man. This is real life, folks. That's a true story. This is real life. <laughs> this is the world we live in. And, and this, this is Swordplay. is Swordplay. Offering double-edged perspective on scripture. We are your hosts. I am Nick Perez, preaching minister for the Davis Park Church of Christ in Modesto, California. I'm Alex Flood. I'm an evangelist for the Lake Phelan Church of Christ in St. Paul, Minnesota. And you know, with that kind of a cold open, you must know that this is an after-hours episode. That's right. Where anything goes. That's right. No holds barred. Where we push the limits of... Our job security. That's right. And, uh, <laughs> but you know, uh, one of the one of the one of the primary reasons we do what we do on the podcast is for you, devoted listener. And we appreciate each of our listeners. We uh, recognize that our audience is growing and. Uh, that is not because of any great advertising campaign that Alex and I are involved in. Uh, it is basically grassroots, word of mouth. Uh, you guys, you listeners, are helping to make this happen. You are helping to spread the word about the podcast, and uh, we are grateful for that. One of the things that we ask you to do uh, at the end of each episode, is to go into the Apple Podcast Store and leave a review, and that helps us get the word out uh, about the podcast. Uh, boosts the podcast in the ranking, something like that. I don't know all the algorithmic whatever, whatever for uh, actually in the podcast store, but it does help us get the word out, and Absolutely. we have a. A couple of super fans right. um, that have left reviews, and we want to honor that. And uh, Alex is going to uh, read those on air for us right now. Yeah, we have one review left by Tara E. in Recovery. And she left a, a five-star review. She said, thank you for your podcasts. I really appreciate them. They give me a better understanding of the Bible without having to read all of it by myself. And it gives me different views on how to apply the readings in this day and time. I may not always agree, but I always walk away with a better understanding to make my own decisions about my thoughts or feelings on the various books and or readings. Wow. Thank you very much, Tara. Yeah, that is, we appreciate that. That is, yeah, that is very encouraging. We appreciate that. And we have another review from Aldrin Buzz 124 and he left a five-star review. He said, Alex and Nick are legit Bible scholars that do an amazing job at presenting facts by taking you deep into the depths of the historicity of the books in the biblical canon. They also cover apocryphal books and accurately present you with all the information you need to know to think and reason for yourself. They cover every minute detail and leave you with so much valuable knowledge. They don't always agree on certain topics, which makes this podcast all the more interesting to listen to. I've been listening to Swordplay daily on my way to and from work, and even at the gym, and I just can't get enough of it. Swordplay surely has helped me grow in the knowledge of the Word. 100% recommended if you're a Bible junkie. Wow. Thank yeah. you, Aldrin. Very, very kind. Very encouraging. Absolutely. Thank you. We've had more people who uh, went and rated the, the podcast, so we have all five-star reviews, uh, but we have a few people who left reviews and actually wrote what they think of the podcast. And so we appreciate that support. 
your continued attention and diligence. And we, you know, we don't produce, um, we don't produce very short podcasts. These are long episodes. These are, these are theologically dense Mm. and heavy and they are meant to be used as reference works and uh, preparation for study. So thank you to our audience for taking the, the investment that it takes to, to listen to the episodes and to, to really think through what we talk about. So yeah. wanted to give our, our uh, gratitude to all of our listener base out there. Very grateful. And you're all very kind. We, we appreciate that. Uh, Absolutely. From- the bottom of our hearts. And things you can do to continue to help the podcast is you can repost any of the episodes on uh, social media, whether it be Twitter or Facebook or Instagram. And uh, you can also send your questions, if you have any questions, to swordplaypodcast at gmail.com. That's swordplaypodcast at gmail.com. And we would love to talk with you and talk about any topics or, or questions that you may have. And you know, Nick, there has been a few uh, topics and questions that have, have sort of circled around uh, on a regular basis over the last several months. I mean, technically, Nick, we are, oh, let's see, um, 54 weeks into the 15-day lockdown, 15 days yep. to flatten the curve. And That's so, right. We're, we're in week 54 of, of 15 Days to Flatten the Curve. And we were uh, getting questions regarding, you know, what, what, what do we think about varying church policies? And so, Nick, you're, you're at an established congregation over there in Davis Park in Modesto, California. What do you guys do about um, people meeting together? How, do, how have you thought through that process? Yeah, I, I I can't speak for every church, uh, every Church of Christ, uh, <clears throat> let alone every other church in the world. Um, <laughs> but I, I can speak to uh, our particular situation. Uh, we have uh, we have engaged in a more cautious approach to uh, the coronavirus, and uh, probably well one of the, one of the reasons. Uh, we've done that is because of our particular uh, congregational demographic. Uh, we we are a predominantly older congregation. We have uh, a number of uh, senior saints, veterans of the faith, <clears throat> who, uh, because of their age and, and other comorbidities, they are more vulnerable and more susceptible to something like uh, the coronavirus. And so um, our elders uh, have met several times uh, throughout this year uh, in order to determine uh, what the best course of action is for us. Uh, and, and so as someone who has sat in on those meetings, uh, that's... That's whereof I speak, <laughs> is uh, if I can, just pull the curtain back just a, a bit and uh, kind of show uh, what we as the leadership here at Davis Park have done. And that may be similar. It may be completely different to your uh, particular situation. I mean, that's the thing. We're in California. California is not uh, Texas or Tennessee or uh, Florida, uh, Florida. Um, it's not uh, uh, Minnesota. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. so <clears throat> um, I, I think each of these particular situations is its own beast in an, in and of itself. And so, I mean, we're just today, April first, is uh, the first day I'm going to I'm going back to the gym to actually go to the gym. And my sister, who was in town, who lives in Texas, was like, you, you haven't been to the gym since uh, it, it, this, this entire year? Uh, I said, yeah, and you have to make an appointment on the app in order to go. And she's like, you have to make an appointment? And, I mean, it, that's the nature of uh, living in California right now. Uh, so you have considerations from the state, 
you have uh, considerations in the county. Each county, uh, we have this tiered system, which is weird. Like purple is the, that's the worst level. And then below that is red. And I think it goes like orange and yellow. It's just a weird color scheme concerning what can open, how it can open, to what capacity. And so we were in purple for a long time. Now we're in the red, I believe. And um, so you have all these state and then county considerations. And then again, we have uh, perhaps most importantly, our own particular congregational demographic to consider. Uh, and um, and so that's, that's what our elders did. The, the, those who have watch over the souls of uh, the members here. Um, and so um, we did take a cautious approach. I will say this, every time, so Stanislaus County, uh, back in June of last year, and then also, I want to say it was like October, November, uh, the, the county opened back up. As soon as it opened back up, we were on the case in order to do what we had to do in order to get back open. And we were open for like five weeks in June and July. And then just briefly, I think it was like three weeks in November, but um, we wanted to get back. Uh, and, and, you know, we've, we've tried to impress that upon uh, the member. Not every member is, is agreeable to what we've done. Uh, and, and we understand that. Uh, there have been some members who are, you know, uh, champing at the bit and they, um, they've wanted to get back in kind of defiance of the state. And, and we understand that too. Um, we have members that are, are fatigued over all the social distancing and the mask wearing. And all I can say to that is I'm with you. I, I get it. Um, but we, you know, we, here in March, we had an outbreak in our congregation. Uh, weren't even meeting. And yet a number of our members uh, contracted the coronavirus, including some of our staff. In fact, our secretary right now as I speak is in the hospital uh, because of uh, her case with COVID. Um, I, so just personally, I have um, pre-existing conditions. I, I've had asthma my whole life. And for me to get COVID would not be a good thing. And so... Um, all of this, right, all of this enters into the fray of the discussion for leadership. And, and so they, after much prayerful consideration and deliberation, we determined <clears throat> uh, we'll follow the guidelines as, as best we can. Um, it hasn't stopped us from doing good ministry Our, on Thursdays. Even right now as I speak, we have a number of the homeless uh, population in Modesto. They're coming to our building. They're getting a meal. They're getting fresh clothes. They're getting a shower. Um, but we're maintaining all those protocols. We are social distancing. Um, uh, we are uh, scrubbing everything down with disinfectant. And um, so we're, we're masking up. Okay. So. Um, I mean, we're doing our best to still continue to do good ministry, even in the midst of global pandemic. And that's been something we've been working to stress on, uh, to stress to our particular members as well. Um, I don't know. So just in kind of the abstract, if we want to talk about... So I read somewhere... Um, Someone, probably, no doubt, I'm sure, they were well-intentioned on social media, they posted that churches, in an effort to love your neighbor, ever heard that, ever read that in your Bible, right? In an effort to love your neighbor, churches should suspend worship services until we can guarantee everyone's safety. So that's like, that's, that's an edge of the spectrum that we at Davis Park, we're not there. <laughs> um, only when it's safe. When every person is safe, can churches resume in-person gatherings? We can't get there because the question that, that I have is, when has the gathering of the church for corporate worship ever been about safety? The early church, they risked their lives to gather when it was illegal to do so. Christians elsewhere in the world, even today, living under anti-Christian and anti-God regimes, they similarly risk their lives so that they might gather 
with fellow Christians in worship. The underground church, that, that alone teaches us that corporate worship has never been about safety. But even if we don't take into consideration the persecuted church uh, the world over, which I think that's ill-advised, given what Peter writes in 1 Peter 5, 9 about the brotherhood the world over, it, it, it is common knowledge that we do not live in a safe world. Uh, before the shutdowns, the number of Christians who died on the way to church, to the assembly, or, uh, or, or to a church activity, th- that should give us pause when it comes to making everything safe. A family on their way to church is involved in an accident, and everyone in the vehicle is killed. It's a tragedy. Uh, the church bus is involved in an accident. Several are injured. Some of them are even killed. Again, it's a tragedy. And those tragedies, they are sobering reminders that we can't make the world all safe. And so this this kind of special pleading that we have to make everything safe or we have to guarantee safety— in this world, uh, that it just comes off to me as Pollyanna-ish, right? Um, the other thing I think about, love your neighbor, and how that's kind of been weaponized by some Christians. Hmm. Um, when has that ever been the standard while living under global pandemic for what we should and shouldn't do? Um, it, it, we never applied the greatest, second greatest command in that kind of fashion during, say, the outbreak of H1N1 back in 2009. I mean, in-person worship, it continued without face masks or any other alterations. Hmm. Annually, the flu virus infects millions and it results in thousands of deaths. And yet, it was never even suggested that worship gatherings be limited or shut down for the sake of safety. And I say all that to say, again, kind of in the abstract, you know, I, 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 I see the other side of the spectrum, which is, hey, you know, God's going to protect us anyway, so what are we shutting down for? And, and we'll render to Caesar the things that are Caesar, but we need to render to God the things that are God's, and that's more important. Uh, and and, and what, what are we operating off of? Fear? When has fear for Christians ever been the, the means and the method whereby we determine and dictate what we're going to do? Fear of what, by the way? Fear of death? When have Christians ever been afraid of death? Tempt me not with heaven. Isn't that what Polycarp said when faced with certain martyrdom? In the abstract, I'm, I hear you. I get it. And I understand both sides of the argument. However, again, I've got a secretary who's in the hospital right now because of covid and that's a real thing. Uh, and we have a, a high population of those who are vulnerable. And do we have certain technological advancements that enable us to continue to do a digital thing and, and gather digitally? And oh, by the way, even though uh, you know we, we, we gather digitally, I know that there are pockets of our congregation they still get together, and they meet together in their homes to watch Sunday service. Hmm. And that's a beautiful thing, too. Uh, you know, uh, I know it's a different context, but that whole two or three are gathered together business, I think that not only applies to the church discipline question, I think it's true for the church generally as well. Um, the other thing I think of, so I guess we can then bring to the forefront here Romans 14 as well, right? Well, how does Romans 14 fit into this? And and stronger brothers and weaker brothers. And, and in the mask discussion, um, who's the stronger, who's the weaker? Uh, is the one who wears the weaker and the one who doesn't wear the stronger? I mean, I guess in kind of a, a physical capacity that may be the case. If someone is of a certain... Uh, age, a younger person who doesn't have all those various uh, pre-existing comorbidities and all that. Well, the, yeah, from a physical standpoint, I think they're in a better situation than, say, a 70 or 80-year-old member who's on a laundry list of medications, right? Um, who, who's the stronger sibling 
in the Romans 14 conversation. We know Paul is. He includes himself with the stronger. We who are strong have an obligation, he says in 15 verse 1. Um, so it would seem that in the conversation of days, diet, and drink, which are the three subjects that come under scrutiny in that particular context, the stronger individual is the one who has no problem engaging in that particular disputable matter. Not sin, by the way. Sin is not to be managed, it's to be repented of. But in these particular disputable matters, where I think each side of the argument has their particular biblical case to make in terms of days, diet, and drink, uh, the, the one who has who, who sees their freedom in Christ and therefore engages in those things with a clear conscience, that seems to be the stronger sibling. Whereas the one who says, no, I'm, I can't do it for conscience sake, that seems to be the weaker one. So is there any application of that to the mass conversation? I say we can, or I, I at least can, uh, gather without the mask. Uh, so is, does that freedom thereby mean that I'm the stronger sibling? And my, uh, my sibling who says, no, we, we need to mask up, are they the weaker sibling? Regardless of who the stronger or weaker sibling is, whoever's stronger has an obligation to bear with the weak. And if we all think we're strong in this, then guess what? You need to bear with the failings of the weak, right? Um, one more thing, and then, man, I... I had a lot to say about this, I guess. <laughs> and this has been After Hours with Nick Fulis. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what did I unleash? <laughs> yeah. uh, the other thing I think of, uh, this, this actually happened yesterday. I was over at my, uh, my other sister's house, who uh, she just lives up the road here. Uh, we were kind of doing a, we were saying goodbye to our, uh, our youngest sister, She's heading back to Texas. She was in town for a few days. And um, I was out front, and there was some, all, all the kids are playing out front, you know. And all of a sudden, like right in front of us and in the midst of all these kids, these two hornets drop out of the, out of the sky. And it looks like they're fighting. Uh, they may have been doing more than fighting, given it's springtime. But that, anyway, um, <laughs> But they, there's these two hornets that just fall out of the sky, and they're on the ground, and they're, man, they're just, they're, they look like they're fighting, right? And so what I do is I get up, and I go over there, and I just stomp them, kill them, right? Because it's dangerous for the kids. But I, <laughs> the kids that were there, I gathered around. I said, you guys need to pay attention to this. Those two hornets there that were fighting, uh, they were so busy fighting that they missed the foot that stomped on them. They didn't see it coming. Mm. And, Distracted. Yeah. yeah. I think that's an, uh, an analogy for kind of what's happening with us today, with the church. You know, you can get so focused on mask or no mask that you are missing the boot that is coming. Mm. The kingdom, it seems like I've read this somewhere, the kingdom is not about food and drink. It's about righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. And I suppose if there's any application of that verse to our particular situation, the kingdom is not about masks. It's about big things, right? And we uh, we need to... The Lord has given us intelligence. He's given us a mind that he expects, a sanctified mind that he expects for us to put to work and to use. And so we can figure out First of all, how to get along, mask or no mask. And second, how we need to be about our Father's business in this world, even while under global pandemic. Uh, and I say all that to say that's what we've been doing here at Davis Park Church of Christ, is putting our sanctified minds to work in order to uh, do ministry and, and worship as best we can while living under global pandemic. So that's the short version. <laughs> so you're in on the meetings. Um, would you say the meetings with the leadership to you know make the the decisions and policies that, that they've made for the congregation? Do you think that those were, you know, was it was it easy? Was it hard? Was it uh, 
you know, did they come to their decision quickly or did they sort of have to pour over it a little while? How'd that go? Yeah, we, there was much, again, prayerful consideration and deliberation that went into it. Um, they did not take it lightly. I will say this, that when when the leadership finally determined the course, it was unanimous. Uh, we, we were united, and, um, and we have been united throughout all of this. Um, we were actually uh, scheduled to open back up on March 7th, uh, this, uh, this past month, first Sunday in March. Uh, and um, uh, the Lord said, no, not yet. Because all we started getting case, it hit our staff. One of our janitors uh, contracted COVID. A bunch of members contracted it all around the same time, and so we had to, you know, uh, the peoples have their plans, uh, but uh, it's the Lord's plans that ultimately stand. And so we had to uh, hit the brakes and say, well, we can't do it this Sunday, and we were, you know, we we postponed it. A whole month, and so that now this Sunday, uh, Easter Sunday, April fourth, we're we're going back for in person uh, gatherings, and that uh, again we we weighed all the factors. Uh, there was uh, some discussion, but uh, again, it was unanimous. Uh, we're we're going to move forward now, Lord willing, and um, and uh, open our doors for in person worship service. Still going to do all the. Uh, all the online stuff. If folks aren't comfortable yet with coming back to in-person service, uh, we still have our online footprint, and they can mm-hmm. watch via online. Which, by the way, has been another good thing. Even in the midst of a bad, bad, bad situation like global pandemic, um, one of the good things is it has forced us to get our act together on the digital level, um, and. We have a number of shut-ins who aren't able to come to worship, and that's been the case for years. And I have, in speaking with those shut-ins, they have expressed to me how grateful they are that now they can't, though they they can't, and they couldn't even before COVID, but they can't gather with the body. They still have access to the worship service via the World Wide Web, mm-hmm. and so that's a good thing. And and I'm grateful to God that I'm, I'm I lament that it took a global pandemic, but I'm grateful to God that we were able to finally get our act together for that uh, demographic of our congregation. That in a number of ways they're often overlooked and uh, neglected, sadly. So, so it sounds like whatever decision leadership over a congregation comes to sounds like it's probably not an easy decision because you're not going to please everybody, whichever way you go with it, right? Right. Because uh, we are uh, a group, a collective, which is is divided on the issue. And uh, that's kind of reminded me when you were mentioning, you know, the boot coming down and the, uh, the hornets not seeing the boot coming down because they were too busy fighting. Um, yeah, I heard a good sermon the other day on how the devil works. And how first he starts with deception, and these are all D words, you know, people love their alliteration, these preachers, yeah. but the first one is deception, and then the, the second step is division, and then once you have people divided, the third step is distraction, right, or diversion, hmm. get their attention on something else so that you can issue the final step, which is, you know, discouragement or destruction, and so I was like, huh, I wonder if that's applicable here. If hmm. maybe our place in that timeline is in between the division and diversion process, where where are we looking right now? And it got me thinking about Sunday, right? And so we seem to put a, you know, we, we put all of our, our, uh, chips on that one on that one day on sunday and it's an important day and it's it's not unworthy of the investment we put into it but i liked what you said about some of your members still getting together in person to utilize the the technological uh side of it right to still watch and to sing together but also 
with others through the uh, online services. And so I was like, yeah, that's, that's very creative. That's a very good idea. It got me thinking, perhaps what happens on Sunday during this particular window of time is not going to be as important as what happens Monday through Saturday, right? Mm. So maybe we are expending, because we are, we're expending overtime energy into making Sunday still work in the midst of our circumstances, in these extenuating circumstances. Well, maybe we should take some of that energy back and spread it out through the week and find other ways to, to meet the needs of breaking isolation, getting together for prayer and encouragement, and uh, even getting together like just for the purpose of singing. I've been uh, thinking lately about the importance of singing when it comes to spiritual warfare. Because you remember when David would sing to King Saul, who was tormented by uh, an evil spirit, and Saul would only find relief when David would play his music. And that's what led to the idea that some of David's psalms are considered exorcist psalms, right? Hmm. Psalms which cast away evil spirits, if even if only temporarily. And there's a tradition that says Solomon carried on that idea, so even some of Solomon's writings are considered sort of exorcist in nature. And uh, got me thinking, huh, could some of that spiritual warfare stuff be back of some of the New Testament commands to sing hymns and psalms to one another? And even when you have Paul and Silas singing in the dungeon of the Philippian jail, is that singing there only to keep their spirits up or to teach uh, the fellow prisoners who can hear more about who Jesus is or the gospel. There's certainly a teaching aspect to singing. We always talk about that. Could there also be in that moment of trial and temptation a battle mindset, a battle purpose to keep at bay these forces of darkness through the power of song? And that got me thinking of something my mother-in-law does. She and some other uh, ladies from her congregation they get together once a week and they go to a nursing home, but they're not allowed in. So they go to like the windows basically of their rooms or the, uh, or the little sectioned off like lobby door where they go in and then people are on the other side of the door and they sing, uh, hymns for like half an hour or 45 minutes or an hour. And, uh, and they always have a huge crowd. Everybody always comes out and they take requests and people say, do you know this one? Do you know this one? So it got me thinking like, huh, look at that. The creativity of going into places that need to be uh, uh, fixed because of the problem of isolation. The people in, in the nursing homes are incredibly isolated. And they went there and they broke the isolation without breaking policies that the building has on itself and provided a means by which they could spiritually push away the powers of darkness through singing, through singing songs to God. So there's a very powerful tool that is, you know, getting together for singing. And uh, so, yeah, maybe there are more creative things we could do to be together in person. What do you think about this, Nick? What if, hypothetically, we uh, couldn't, for whatever reason, even get together in a limited capacity anymore at our buildings, right? And let's say this was going to be for an unknown extended period of time. What do you think about the, the quick, because it would have to be quick, sort of restructuring of how we meet? So that, uh, let's say you got 500 people at your congregation. What if you broke those 500 people up into 10 groups of 50 or 20 groups of 25 and you had each group hosted at someone's house and you already have identified all of your teachers and preachers in the congregation, right? Your elders, your deacons, your, your teacher, your preacher, evangelist, whatever. And then you assign to those teachers who are capable men, well-trained in the word, to go make circuits 
where they have three or four or five or six circuits that they do throughout the week so that maybe everybody's not meeting on Sunday per se, but they are meeting together and they're getting together every day, day by day, house to house. That sounds familiar. Hmm. Monday through Sunday, Sunday through Saturday, right? And so what if that was a quick way to restructure things so that people could still break the dangers of isolation, come together to combat spiritual darkness. You can still sing, you can still pray, and you can still get fed something substantial from the word from somebody who you already know is capable of delivering that. And so you could have a, a quick sort of redrawing of the, of the blueprint that works off of a circuit basis. That would keep you... Um, let's say under a period of, you know, who knows, right? Persecution. That would be a good model to keep you under the radar, wouldn't it? And so what do you think about that quick restructuring of things, Nick? Do you think that's feasible? Uh, perhaps. Well, I mean, that's kind of the way it was done back in the day, right? I mean, you had, you did have circuit preachers that would go around to <clears throat> these uh, churches that were scattered, uh, sometimes separated by miles. Uh, I, I I don't know enough about it off the top of my head to say whether they did that throughout the week. I'm I'm inclined to say that they had their circuit that they rode on Sundays. Mm-hmm. But I mean, you know, back in the day, it was um, you'd have uh, gospel meetings, uh, open air preaching type of things, but they would be. Uh, days and weeks on end. Uh, so it's not unheard of. I think part of the problem is that for us uh, today is we do kind of have and tend to have a myopic view of history, uh, which, by the way, is, is relevant to the COVID discussion. Um, this isn't the first time we've had a global pandemic that did knock our socks off nationally and uh, churches did have to close their doors. Uh, this happened back with uh, the Spanish flu, influenza, back in 1918 and then again in 1920. Uh, the churches, they closed, but that was to open their doors as overflow for hospitals. <laughs> uh, so the church even was meeting needs back then. Uh, by the way, do you know uh, how that global pandemic, uh, I don't want to say necessarily ended, but how, how it did kind of wind down. It wasn't because we created a vaccine. Vaccine for that didn't come until three decades later. Um, and it wasn't because of the 15 days that grew into months of shutdown. <clears throat> what it was was a mutation in that particular flu strain to make the virus less virulent, which I, that's to me is fascinating. We think that if we just science the tar out of this thing, we can figure it out and we can, we can end COVID and we can stop the spread and all that stuff, right? Historically speaking, and let's mix in a little theology here as well, right? That is presumptuous for us creatures to think that the, that, that we are the ones who are going to be our own saviors. Uh, so, um, again, to get back to the historical aspect from a church, and, and specifically to the, the situation that you propose, it's, I think it's been done before, and you did have these circuit preachers that would go around and do this, and, um, and you did have the church meeting. It wasn't necessarily house-to-house, um, per se, but it was, um, you had pockets of Christians everywhere and they would meet for days on end. Given our, uh, Netflix culture and our instant gratification culture, I just, I don't know that we have the stomach and the attention span for it. Like we ought to as well. Um, just from a, I guess, a sociological perspective in that regard. So, I don't think it's a bad idea. I think it's a it's a good thing. It could really just dovetail with what many congregations already do anyway with life groups, right? 
Life yep. groups typically meet in homes and they have designated, you know, hosting uh, sites. And um, and so the, the communication between that particular group is in place. And the difference would be is that it wouldn't just be um, those who, who uh, want to meet on life group, you know, an alternative to like a Sunday evening service or something or a Wednesday night service where you just answer questions about the previous sermon or something like that, right? Where it's just more like a, a small discussion group with some some questions that have already been canned for you. It'd be more like the small group, but you have the lesson coming to you from multiple different teachers within your congregation, kind of like uh, when you go to uh, like a Bible camp, right? And you have these these teachers who have all been picked ahead of time and said, you know, here's the theme, here's the lesson you make, and when you when you when we go, we all hear it at church camp, and there's a different slot for each speaker, and you get this um, continuous flow of different perspectives and teachings from capable capable leaders, capable teachers. You combine those two together to create sort of this circuit camp. Uh, church guerrilla uh <laughs> guerrilla <laughs> warfare <laughs> so that was my thought i think it could be done it could be done quickly if it needed to but uh not not a bad thing to experiment with experiment with different things right now since we are in the the circumstances we're in just to see sure. what works and what doesn't work what are some of the kinks uh that could be worked out with a little bit of practice and just so you know, you have options, you have alternatives. I think as far as a, you know, dealing with whatever your congregation's policy is right now, um, it's not easy for the leadership to make the decisions they make because uh, they can't please everyone. And um, and so I think uh, if if you can try to submit to the leadership, um, if not, you know, use the other options that they've provided for you, whether it be online or. Um, or something else. Your congregation does drive in, right? Drive in. Yeah, um, we did. We did that for a couple months. Yeah. Uh, or um, if there's another congregation who, uh, you know, does things uh, differently that you would rather be with during this temporary time, uh, talk with your leadership about it. You know, be uh, patient and, and, and kind with them, and, and I think that they'll probably give you their blessing to do that because. Uh, they know that it's a, it's a tough a tough call, tough decision, tough time to be in. So uh, I think overall, just try to be communicative, um, be generous, kind, graceful in your speech. Um, yeah, and and be understanding to to those who have to make hard decisions. Who you may not agree with those decisions, but they understand that. They know that not everyone's going to agree, and and they'll probably offer you different options and, and give and give you their blessing as you seek to do what's best for your, for you and your family. And that's just sort of the nature of uh, autonomous congregations, right? That's right. Yeah. So, well, Nick, we had one last thing we wanted to discuss. <clears throat> yeah. Um, well, we, so we have both now gone on to uh, an atheist podcast. Uh, it's entitled, uh, the Bible says what? Um, the Bible says what uh, the host of that particular podcast is Michael Wiseman it's Uh, the Bible says what exclamation point question mark that's right (laughs) Um, it is slated as a forum where this uh, atheist Michael Wiseman has conversations with um, Christians Christian leaders and uh my episode was episode 85. Alex, yours was? I believe mine nine, was 94. That's right, 94. 94. Uh, so, uh, and in those respective episodes, Alex and I, uh, I me first, then Alex, uh, we went on there and uh, had conversation with uh, Michael Wiseman. He asked us uh, questions of a particular bent that we <laughs> then uh, answered. We, we stepped into the arena of ideas 
and uh, did our best to give an answer for the uh, hope that is within us with gentleness and with respect. And I believe we both accomplished that goal. Um, And I don't don't know where you – where do you want to begin? Do you want to – well, I was going to say, just for your your experience, you went first, right? Episode eighty five. Mm-hmm. How do you feel everything went? How do you feel about it now that it's been a while? You've had time to reflect, and you know, I've I've listened to it. I think I listened to it twice. Um, you know, you've there's when you do it, and then there's afterwards when you go back and listen to it. And you're like, okay, did uh, did that happen the way I thought it happened? <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> so, what was your experience? Um, so, I'll tell you. As soon as we finished recording. Um, so, okay, beforehand, the feeling I had before we discussed was it reminded me of when I used to wrestle back in the day. And it was just uh, it was just um, nervous excitement, I guess is probably the best way to put it. Um, I was just I was I was wound up and I was ready to go. And then we had our hour long conversation. And then afterward, man, I was high five a million angels. It just it felt good. It felt good. I felt I had done well. And then when I went back and listened to the recording, I thought, yeah, that did that did go well. Uh, there was one question that he asked, but then immediately followed up with another question, which I wish I had answered the first question rather than go into the second, because I think the answer to the first question actually informs the second. The first question was about the resurrection. Why I believe the resurrection. The second question had to do with miracles and whether I'd ever seen a miracle. Uh, and to which I, and, and you can go back and listen to it. I said, you know, I, I read about them. I read about uh, these historical events. He says, well, no, have you ever seen one? And I knew what he was asking for. And, um, and so I, I gave my answer. But the answer, again, to that question of miracles, I believe, is predicated upon our faith in the resurrection. And I wish I had answered that. And, um, uh, I believe it's Michael Lacona. Uh, I can see the book on my shelf here. It's The Case for the Resurrection of Jesus. He has a very particular method for uh, demonstrating that the best explanation for why the tomb of Jesus was found open and empty in his grave clothes lying is, is as though in their folds was that Jesus of Nazareth really was raised by the power of God, that a legitimate resurrection took place. And he's got... He calls it the four plus one, and I forget them off the top of my head, but they have to do with um, early uh, early creeds. They have to do with um, the conversion of Paul, the conversion of James. Um, but th- those are those are basic fundamental facts that even the most skeptical of scholars will all agree. Yeah, I, I can agree with those historical facts. And if those facts are legitimate, then again, the only explanation for the empty tomb is the resurrection of Jesus that God really did raise him from the dead. So, again, that's that's the only thing. I, I've talked with people who've listened to the episode, my episode with uh, Wiseman, and the way they kind of break it down is the first third, so the first, like, 20 minutes is, uh, you know, kind of a, a back and forth. Uh, the second half, or the second uh, third is I'm, I'm finding my footing and, and, you know, finding my stride. And then the third half is me asking Wiseman certain uh, questions concerning his worldview, and um, I was able to pin him down to humanism, to his humanistic beliefs, and um, uh, he admits he's a humanist. In the conversation, I, I so I say, so you're, you're a god unto yourself, and he kind of demures, and he's, no, no, I'm not a god. I can't do magical whatever, but the reality is in humanism, Humans are, they're, they're, they're their own God. The autonomous man, the autonomous human is God in the humanistic perspective. So whether Wiseman likes it, to be consistent as a humanist, he must acknowledge that, yeah, you are a God unto yourself. And uh, once everybody's a God unto themselves, nobody's really a God unto themselves, and you end up with just chaos. So humanism falls apart that way, which is why I'm grateful so I've gone back and listened to Alex's episode. Alex, um, uh, you adv- I think you advanced the ball on the humanism aspect uh, and, and really worked to also pin him down, not only on humanism, but then to take it further and ask, is this really reasonable? 
not only generally, but specifically to his podcast. So how did you think your uh, conversation with Wiseman went? Yeah, well, I mean, I kind of felt similar to you. I was nervous going into it. And then, um, but, I, you know, I'd done my due diligence. I'd listened to several several of the episodes and sort of made my own outline of questions and, and how I would answer certain questions. And um, and that's just part of the preparation part process. And so there's some of those times where I was able to reference back to my outline. And, and then sometimes I kind of had to think on the spot. But uh, I felt similar where there was... Ours was two 40-minute sessions because, like, we got 40 minutes in, and then my internet cut out. And so I had to reestablish internet connection using my hotspot and then get everything connected back in, and then we did another 40-minute session. So we had an hour and 20 minutes total. And I think it's in that second session, uh, that second 40-minute session, I probably have around 20 or or so minutes where I'm asking him questions, and that's sort of where I kind of found my stride, where I got to ask him some things and um yeah and and so i thought that that part was um i think good good and uh, a beneficial reflection for both sides of the uh uh debate because um yeah i mean he he has a certain slant he has a certain bent and so i just asked him you know is that when you call people on the show and you say why do you worship a baby killing monster um it's like that's not exactly <laughs> a neutral or uh, uh, investigative question. It, it's it's very much framed in a certain way. It's and, inflammatory. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Well, and, and he's got like a, his uh, intro that he does with his other atheist friend, and it's basically a Christian bashing session where uh, I think on my episode he ended up talking about you know the preacher in Canada who was arrested because he's. Uh, he's not going to stop holding church meetings with large gatherings. And right. I think they were joking around saying like, you know, they, uh, you know, hope he gets raped in jail or something like that. So yeah. it's like, what? Yeah. How's <laughs> so, that? How's the humanism working out for you? Yeah. I mean, granted they were, they were making a joke. They were kidding, but, um, it, hmm. it's still just, uh, perhaps in bad taste and the, um, monologue yeah the monologue that he does before the interviews every interview is it's always you know it's 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 typed out it's not off the top of his head it's, it is written in a certain way and it is the most inflammatory part of each episode and so i just i mentioned that to him i asked him about it i said does that really work with with humanism right like you you want to have a good conversation you want to do the most good the least amount of harm if you say things inflammatory on purpose and always frame things in a certain way with a certain bin does that really help the the humanist uh values uh, and the and the and the purpose of a con- having a good conversation because that's what he claims he wants to have a good conversation but uh, i don't know about you nick but when i have a good conversation with people it's not because i ask them why they worship a baby killing monster yeah. it's uh <laughs> and by the way uh, if if anyone in our audience hasn't listened to either of the episodes that is not too much of an exaggeration as to how the questions are framed. I mean, it is, that's pretty much how the question is, is asked. Yeah. Yeah. And so I just said he might want to reflect upon that and to perhaps change his approach to the way he conducts the conversation to be more conducive to, uh, what an interview would be right. Because I mean, is it a, is it a conversation? Uh, is it a debate? Is it, um, what is it? You know, what is, what is the goal? What's happening here? And, um, and so, you know, just getting that out there, being honest about that and how, well, you know, maybe it could be more, more like an interview where like, okay, we've come to the table with two completely different worldviews. It's like, you know, you, you see things through the lens of your worldview. I see things through the lens of my worldview. I think sometimes he, he asks appropriate questions where he says why why do you have that worldview that's a good question like i i think that's worth asking talking about why do i have my worldview and uh i think when he asked me that you know i I brought it back to uh jesus and the new testament and the gospels and so that led into other things about um are those authentic are those reliable and that's really where i think the the christian can find a lot of confidence is that yeah there's mountains of evidence showing the 
historicity, the reliability, the authenticity of the New Testament documents. And so uh, even even these uh, questions between how do you harmonize the Gospels, we've had answers to these questions for 2,000 years. Yeah. <laughs> and, yep. so, and I even I even mapped out how those questions came about. It's because when you move away from the original audience, you no longer come to the text with the same presuppositional understandings. And so, of course, you're going to have questions because you, you're not the original audience. You're not the original occasion and purpose. It still has application for you, but you are not the, the original audience. And so you have to uh, do a little more digging to figure out what this means and how this harmonizes with each other. And that's been church leaders have, have done that work for 2000 years. I mean, even even by, I think I mentioned 160 AD, you had a guy named Tatian who put together the Diatessaron, which was a harmony of the four Gospels. Why? Because people wanted to know how they harmonized, why they were different, what makes sense out of them being different. So um, I think, you know, I think there were some some good some good highlights in there. And honestly, you know, there's a few things where uh, I I just said, you know, I I don't quite understand what happened there, you know, and so um and I still don't, you know, you ask me about, um, why, why did the child that resulted from David and Bathsheba's adultery, uh, uh, get, why, why was that child killed? You know, why did God have to kill that child? And so, well, I don't know. I don't fully understand that. I don't think I feel comfortable with a good answer to that right now. But whenever I have a, an, uh, 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 a question like that, my, default, and this is, I think, true of of many Christians, is that I know enough about Jesus to have made a decision as to whether I trust him or not. And if I've made that decision about Jesus, then that also gives me trust in the Father, because Jesus is the revealing of the Father. He is the representation, the exact representation of the Father. So I know enough about Jesus to know that I trust him, and that trust is what I fall back on when I don't quite understand something that I read in my Bible. And so Michael Wiseman doesn't have that trust. He may have used to have had that trust when he grew up in a Christian family, but he doesn't anymore. He said he popped that bubble a long time ago. He's like, well, I haven't, and <laughs> I still trust him. I still trust him, and I'm committed to trusting him, and I'm okay not knowing the answers, and I'm also okay with perhaps having to wait to, to find out the answer, whether that's on this side of eternity or not. So that I think when the when the episode was over, I felt uh, really relieved. You know, I was glad that it was over, and of course, you know, I had all all my thoughts running through my head for a couple of days. Like, did I say this? Did I say that? You know, could I have said this or that? But you know, it, it is what it is, and so I was like, well, off. I feel good about it now that it's over, but I'll have to wait and see when it comes out if, if you know, if it turned out as as okay as I as I thought maybe it went. And so, yeah, it came out and I listened to it again. And I was like, oh, I feel I feel okay with that. I feel okay with that. And so I uh, I think that it was a good it was a good worthy endeavor because I think I mentioned this on the show. I think there are people within his audience and and within our audience who would actually like to ask some of the same questions that he asks without the inflammatory bent. (laughs) (laughs) And I think when, when those questions are are being asked, people would like an honest answer. Um, uh, I want to give them one. I want to give them one. I want to do my due diligence to, to teach and understand what I think is, is the, the biblical, the biblical worldview. And, uh, that takes a lot of work. That's why we do what we do, Nick. That's why we do swordplay and even on a swordplay, right? It's swordplay because we go back and forth because we haven't come to the same conclusion on everything. Right. A lot of things we have, some things we haven't, some of them are even big things, but at the end of the day, your trust in Jesus has not changed. My trust in Jesus has not changed. And that's my encouragement for the audience is that being a disciple of Jesus is base is 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 on the foundation of trust that like he has he has done enough to win your trust over and so you will trust him you will follow him that's what it means to trust him and so having said that 
And having gone through the debate now, I don't think every Christian is obligated to do what we did, Nick. I don't think every Christian, I think we have to give a reason for the hope that is within us. And I think that reason is Jesus and his resurrection. And I think that's good enough. I don't think every person can just go through like an apologetics training course and all of a sudden now you're ready to go on the Bible says what podcast. I was like, I don't think so. I don't think that would be good for people. Um, I don't think they're obligated to do that. I don't think that's God's expectation of them. I think the expectation is that if you're a disciple, you've learned to trust Jesus and you continue to trust him. And there are people who God calls to rise to the occasion throughout church history to make that apologetic defense, right? To the best of their abilities. And so not every, not everybody in the early church was a Justin Martyr. Not everybody in the early church was an Irenaeus, right? These are apologists who put uh, much, much ink to, to paper in order to answer these questions. And, and they went through great lengths to understand the worldview of their opponent. Great lengths. And that's how we even know about like Gnosticism and things like that is because the apologists of the early church understood that system so well so that they could undo it and defeat it in the realm of ideas in the battle arena of ideas so those are my those are my um collage of thoughts that i had (laughs) for the podcast well any other thoughts about the we'll put some links in there for our audience in case they haven't listened to your your debate with uh wiseman or mine uh any any final thoughts you have on that nick uh no, I think uh I think that's uh everything that I've I've got on it. Yeah. And we thought this was going to be a short one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's sword play. You know what you're getting. This is where we come together and um and we lay it out there. We lay it out there. No stone unturned. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of, we're going to keep turning over stones in the book of Malachi. And so that'll be up next on the docket is Malachi chapter three, four chapters of Malachi, right? So we're halfway through the book. Uh, Fourth chapter is quite short. So be looking for that diligent listener in the next couple of weeks. Any final thoughts of encouragement for our audience, Nick? Um. Thanks for sticking with us uh, through this episode and and through every episode, and uh, yeah, leave those leave those reviews. Uh, uh, feel free to to uh, type one out there in the Apple Podcast Store. Um, we already gave you where to email questions. If you want to text a question in three one six twenty four sword, that's three one six two four seven. 9673. You can text in your questions and kind of like what we did today, uh, that whole discussion about masks, that, uh, that, that is, I'm sure, a question on a lot of people's minds, but we did get questions, uh, uh, sent in concerning that. So, yeah. And we appreciate that. And we will answer any questions that you send in, we'll answer online or on, on air. Yeah. Well, and it's not like we've solved all of the church's problems today, right? And so. Right. Yeah. We've, if we've anything, only, we've, we've shown you just how big a tangled knot we have with all this stuff. So That's right. That's right. And so um, it certainly deserves an extra measure of, of charity towards one another. And if anything, the benefit of having the conversation is to at least just get your thoughts out, maybe get it off your chest, and that way it doesn't... Uh, turn into something uh, ungraceful inside of your heart, right? And so we don't have to always agree, and there's a lot of people who aren't going to agree on this. Let's just make sure that in the midst of our disagreement, we don't get distracted because the boot of the enemy is always ready to come down and stomp on us when we least expect it. So find those ways to be together for encouragement, edification, singing, praising God, uh, all of those things. Which I, I guess in a roundabout way is also connected to our, our conversations with Wiseman. Um, 
because when I when I shared that on Facebook, one of the things I put in the post was um, that I was I wanted it to be uh, an example of how Christians can converse <clears throat> with people that they disagree with without becoming obnoxious. And I, I with you, Alex, we we disagree strongly with uh, Wiseman's atheism. And yet we were still able to have the conversation in a way that was marked by uh, gentleness and respect. And so if we can offer that to an atheist who we strongly disagree with, surely we can extend charity, grace, gentleness, and respect to our fellow siblings in the family of God. And I think that's a good reminder. That's a very good reminder. Well, that's it for uh, this time. This has been After Hours session number four. And so we'll see if uh, we still have jobs after this. It's always <laughs> questionable, but, uh, you know, so far, so good, right? So here it is, After Hours number four. Uh, stay away from those Satan shoes, and we'll see you next time on another episode of Swordplay where you get a double-edged perspective on Scripture. Scripture.